Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. If you're new to using the Bible and you're using the Black Pew Bibles, uh, the chapter we're going to look at, 1 John chapter 2, can be found on page 959 in those Black Bibles. And when we talk about chapter numbers, it's going to be a larger bold print number. And then the verse numbers are these smaller numbers next to the sentences. And our text of scripture that we left off from last week that we find ourselves here today is 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 3 and then through verse 11. The outline of this message will be three application questions that I'm going to ask from the start. Then after I read the passage, I'm going to give you three illustrations that I think will help us walk through and explain the passage. And then we're going to come back to the end based on our illustration explanation and then give you three answers. So if you want to just mentally follow along, here's where we'll begin. Three application questions, then I'll read the passage Illustrate it with three illustrations and then three answers. Application, illustration, answer. Here's the questions. Question one, what is Christianity all about? Question two, do you think you should be a Christian? Maybe what I mean by that is you're either here and you're not a Christian based on answer to number one, what's Christianity all about? Does that interest you? Should you be a Christian? For many of you in the room, you are Christians, so question two will be more of a, should I still be a Christian? If that's what Christianity is about, am I I in? Do I want to be in? Am I interested in this Christian religion? So what is Christianity? Should you Be a Christian, maintain your Christian faith. Third and finally, how can you be sure? How do you know if you're a Christian? Those are the questions. Let's read the text, starting in verse 3. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother, is still in the darkness. 
Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And that'll end our reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. My prayer for you is that if you're not a Christian, you'd become one. If you are a Christian, you'd maintain one, and that all of us would know what assurance of salvation is all about. And if that sounds good, how about a hearty amen? So the three questions, let me say them again. What's Christianity all about? What do you think? Do you want to become a Christian? Do you want to maintain your Christian faith? Third and finally, how can you be sure? How do you know if you're a Christian? If you want to be a Christian, you want to follow Jesus, are you? Three illustrations that I'd like to use to walk through the text and explain what I believe this passage is teaching us. Number one, first illustration. A white cedar seed is planted in the ground. White cedar seed. It's in Canada, that's what I found out. And one particular cedar tree has broken the Guinness record for growing only four inches after 155 years of growth. In other words, this is a tree that is known for long life and slow growth. The goal of the seed being planted in the ground, this white cedar seed, is so that it would eventually become average height roughly around 100 feet, not four inches. 100 feet fully grown, producing life, leaves, Fruits, flowers, acorns. Now, at this point, we're moving beyond just this one particular seed. What's the goal of a tree? Planting a seed in the ground is so that it would one day grow, bear fruit, and have life. Become mature. That's the first picture. Second picture. An infant is conceived in the mother's womb. This is good news. This is worth celebrating. But as too many moms have experienced, miscarriage is not the goal. Conception is not the goal. But rather giving birth, and then even then, the goal is not just having a baby, but growing and nurturing a child to maturity. There's an end goal. There is a clear defined purpose for which the union of this conception, this beginning moment, then leads us to a destination. Illustration three, if so far these are not quite capturing your imagination, let's just make it very plain. It's cold outside today. Here we are in the middle of January. And you have the goal of road trip to the south, Someplace warm, I don't care. Texas, Florida, Mexico, we're going south. That's the goal. You want to go somewhere warm. 
The destination is warm climate. If you get in your vehicle after church today, based on this stated goal and ambition and start heading north toward Canada to look for these trees, you will find yourself in the wrong direction. There's a misconnect between your stated goal and purpose and your actual behavior. These are the three images. All of them have at their core a starting point, a process, and an end destination. And so now, let's use these illustrations to walk through our passage together, starting with verse 3. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The goal of verse 3, the stated purpose, what Christianity is all about, to sneak ahead to the answer, to know him, to have a relationship with God. By this is given the answer at the end of the sentence. If we obey his commandments, so if you obey his commandments, then you can know that you know him. And literally, he uses the word know twice. You can know that you know. The keeping of God's commandments, the keeping of his word, the walking the way that Jesus walked, that's what we're going to see in verses 3 through 6. This is the path. This is the way to get to the destination. Let me walk through that with you. Verse 4, whoever says, I know him, because that's the goal, a relationship with God, but then doesn't keep his commandments, well, they're a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, that's the path, that's the way to get to the destination, but the goal is in him, truly the love of God is perfected. I want you to just pause and make sure we all understand that this word perfected is the word completion, end goal, destination. It's literally what it means. It does not mean sinless, flawless, as you typically might think as soon as you hear the word perfect. Well, I'm not perfect, meaning I'm not sinless. No. A, a perfect baby will be a perfect baby, a healthy, whole, sound baby. But the goal of the baby is to not stay a baby. Would it be not very good if the baby stayed a baby forever and ever? Of course. If your goal was to get somewhere warm and you just sat in your car and you never moved anywhere, or you went the wrong direction up north, then we are not accomplishing our goal. If the seed in the ground lays dormant and does not germinate, and no matter how slow its growth is, if it just sits there, then it's not achieving the purpose for which it was made. That's what this word perfected is all about. The love of God being perfected, meaning accomplishing the purpose to get you to the end destination. I think that's about as clear as it could be. In him, truly, the love of God is working us step by step toward the main goal, which is knowing him, 
being in him, in a relationship with God. By this we may know him, the end of verse 5 says. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Walking in the way of Jesus Christ is the pathway, but the end goal is God. Abiding in God happens along the pathway, but there is an end, destination, consummation, crossing the finish line, full maturity of this process. It would be like getting in the car, and if you aren't driving north and it's getting colder and colder, but you're driving to the south, and you're not quite in 80, 90 degree temperatures, but it's getting warmer. Ah, the process has begun. The temperatures have changed. The snow has melted. There is good, solid evidence that you are on the path towards your goal. And so it is along the way when your little infant that you could hold in the palm of your hand is now soon to be a 17-year-old. And you can't even hold them in the same way anymore. They're growing into maturity and you're excited along the way because you're seeing the progress. Verse 7. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And then if you were to think the Bible contradicts itself, this is one of those moments where you're like, John, what in the world are you trying to say? Verse 8. Now again, at the same time, it is actually a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What John is saying is not that there's a new goal, but there is a different stage in the process on your way toward that goal. Individually, Corporately, historically, cosmically? You could answer that in all of those different layers. Here's what I mean. What's the old commandment? Ryan just read it to us. Is it a new thing that Jesus came onto the earth and said, you guys should love each other? No, that's not new. That's old. What's the greatest commandment? Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's what Jesus said. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's old. It's really old. The second commandment is just like it. Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. So the commandment that you heard from Jesus, because that's what it mentions, the word that you had heard, what word did they hear? They heard the message of Jesus. And what's the message of Jesus? A message that has continuity with the Old Testament. A message that's saying God's ethical standards are the same yesterday, they're the same today, and they're the same tomorrow. Or put it another way, the goal for humans on the earth has never once budged for an instant. It is that image bearers, humans, would love God and then so love one another. That was the plan from the beginning of creation. That was the plan in the call of Abraham. That was the plan when Moses was on Mount Sinai and getting instruction in the Ten Commandments and in the rest of the Mosaic Law. That's always been the plan. That's what he's trying to say. The path to the end goal is the same. It's God's commandment and instruction to love. Love God 
and love your neighbors. So then what does verse 9 mean? Well, if you're in St. Louis, you're not in Chicago anymore. If you've made it down to Louisiana, you're not quite in the bottom of Texas Corpus Christi, but you're getting closer. He's saying, it's not a new goal, but we're further along on the timeline. We're in a new era. Jesus Christ has come. The light is already shining. Do you see the, the time reference here? We're, we're further along in the progress of this goal for all of human history. This is what he means right after he talks about the new commandment. The new commandment is now going to be in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And because the darkness of the present evil age in the world is passing away, just drop your eyes down to chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or all the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not from the Father. It's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. That's what he's talking about when he says the darkness of the world is passing away. A new day has dawned. The light is already shining. We are not living in the old covenant anymore. We are living in a new day on the basis of the incarnation, the sending of the Son of God, the full active obedience of Jesus to live a perfect life, the death of Jesus on the cross as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, the burial of Jesus into the ground, the resurrection from Jesus from the dead, Jesus' ascension to heaven, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the place where we find ourselves in this same old goal of becoming humans of love has taken a new turn in the chapter of God's story. We're not where we used to be. We're not where we want to be, but by the grace of God, we are where we are, and you can say that for you as an individual. We can say that for us as a church, and we can say that about all of Christian and human history. There's still more for us to get to. We're not there yet. But oh, it's a new day that's dawned. The sun of Jesus Christ shines through the outpouring of the Spirit. And as we see his love, we're transformed into his love to become like him, which is why he can say what he does for the rest of our passage, verses 9 to 11. Whoever says that they are in the light, but they hate their brother, their sister, they're still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Do you notice that last little verse helps encapsulate once more why I've chosen the images and illustrations for this message? The one who is in the darkness doesn't know where they're going. Do you know where you're going? That was the question that I came to in my preparation for this week's message. Do we know where we're going, Embassy Church? Visitor, guest, thank you for coming to church today. Do you know where you're going? Let's answer our three questions. Let's dive right in. Question one, what's the goal? What's Christianity all about? Do we even have a clear understanding of 
where we're headed in the first place? Answer, I think it's clear from our text that Christianity is about knowing God. Whether it's verse 3 that says, by this, we can come, we can know that we've come to know him. Come to know him. Know God through Christ Jesus. Have a relationship with God. That's what Christianity is about. In John chapter 17, Jesus Christ himself prays, this is eternal life. That they would know God. That they would know me. That's eternal life. Knowing God. Read it in John chapter 17, verse 3. Eternal life. The goal of Christianity. The end destination is being in communion with the creator of the universe. It's kind of what we've already been covering in this early section of 1 John chapter 1. Participation, koinonia, fellowship with the Father through the Son by the outpouring Spirit so we can have union with God. That's what this is all about. That's Christianity. Sadly, some of you in this room maybe, and many people, think Christianity is about rule-keeping, obedience, Clearly, our text is all about keeping commandments and obedience, but it is not saying that's the goal. That's the evidence that you are on the right path to the goal, not the goal. It's not obey mom and dad, obey the Ten Commandments, and then go to heaven when I die. That's not what he's describing at all here. I hope you can understand that I'm reading you the Bible, and you possibly might have a caricature of Christianity if that's your view of Christianity. For example, God in the old covenant. The old commandment is the same. And the old way is the same. God did not save a people out of Egypt and slavery and then say to them, good job. I saved you because you did a good job obeying the Ten Commandments. They didn't even have the Ten Commandments. The keeping of God's commandments in terms of the list that was put on those two tablets wasn't even possible because they didn't have them yet. God is in the business of pursuing a people in a covenant relationship with them. So you would know them, know them experientially, know them intimately, personally. He did that through saving a people by his grace and his power. And then he gave them the commandments. In other words, go back and read your Bible and realize that it's Exodus 20 when the Ten Commandments are first delivered. But it's Exodus 13, 14, 15, and following where God is saving, delivering, and rescuing people out of Egyptian slavery, which the New Testament says again and again was just a type, a shadow of the greater deliverance from the slavery of our sin. Do you believe that then? That Christianity is first good news of a God who wants a relationship with you through the work of his son Jesus to save and rescue you. And then that root, that seed that died into the ground, the incarnate son of God, a seed has to go into the ground and then die. Jesus was that seed. He died. And then if you abide in him, if you love him, if you receive him, if you like what you see when you see Jesus, you'll bear good fruit. That'll just be the necessary overflow of somebody that has been captured by the love of God. That's the goal of Christianity, is that God would come to know you and you come to know God. 
This is it, guys. Christianity is about knowing God. So I want to ask all of you. You could be here as a non-Christian. Do you understand that this is what the Bible is about? Do you realize that there are a lot of misconceptions about Christianity? Is it possible that you are maybe indifferent, cold, not warm in your heart because of the caricature of the Christian faith and not the actual Christian faith? If you're here today and you're a member of this church, you're a Christian, you're a baptized believer, does this sound like the goal? Does this sound like what you've signed up for? Does it sound like these are things that like, yes, that's, that's Christianity in a nutshell. It's a relationship with God. It's knowing God forever. The enjoyment of his presence is the greatest joy and it's the reason you were made in the first place. Do you believe that on the opening pages of Scripture? And that, that theme just continues until finally you get to the very last two chapters of the Bible. This is what Christianity is about. Question two. Should you be a Christian then? I mean, is this your goal? What do you think of this one? Knowing God. Having a relationship with the creator of the universe. The better way, I think, to ask this, especially for any of you here that aren't so sure, I don't know if I'm a Christian, I don't even know if I want to be a Christian. What's your goal then? Do you have a better purpose? Do you have a better explanation about life, the meaning of it? What you're doing, right now you're doing something. Like, so, you're in the car, you're headed somewhere. Where are you going and why? Have you ever just stepped back, stopped, and thought, what am I doing with my life? Why am I here? What's my purpose of existence? The Christian purpose, the biblical purpose would be love. Be loved by the God who wants to forgive you, have a relationship with you, and then be a person like him of love. How does that sound? Does your plan sound better? Do you think that it would be better for you individually? Would it be better for your friends, your family members? I really want each and every one of you to, to really think hard. What's your goal and purpose in life? Is it better than the Christian purpose? Knowing God, being known by him, and that manifesting itself in this life of love. If you are a Christian, for all of you who are members of this church, then hopefully it should be obvious to you, realign yourself with this purpose every day. One of the main hopes and prayers of this sermon is that this would be a realigning, yes, that's my purpose. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here at church today. That's why I'm a Christian. That's why I got baptized. The God of the universe has so loved me in Christ that through the receiving of that love, it has compelled me to love others. So now, as I leave from here, I just want to love people. Not because I need to earn salvation, but because I have sensed the awe and the wonder of a God who has loved me first in my sin. So I want to treat my spouse well. I want to love my neighbor, co-worker, friend. This is the goal of Embassy Church. Our goal is to make disciples of all nations. Or, to put it another way, help people walk like Jesus walked. Is that right from our text? Those who know God are those who walk in the way that Jesus walked because they realize, yes, that human 
walked like no other human did. His way of life, his manner of speaking, of thinking, his way of making sense of the world, his understanding of the Old Testament, everything that I see in Jesus, I want to be like that. I want to study the Bible like he studies the Bible. I want to teach the Bible like he teaches the Bible. I want to love the poor like he loved the poor. I want to be self-sacrificial and generous like Jesus is generous. Therefore, discipleship is basically imitation. We imitate Christ. And therefore, little Christs should be sitting around this room and we all say, that's the goal. He's the North Star. He's the destination. We want to be like him. Embassy, let's realign our purpose together. It's a, a new calendar year for whatever that might mean or matter to you. Well, in this season, let's think through, what's 2024 going to look like? How about loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Loving our neighbor as ourself on the basis of gospel grace compelling us in that love, not earning my obedience in legalism. Legalism is not expecting you to obey commands. First John expects people who have been loved by God to obey commands. Legalism is using your obedience as your reason for your relationship with God. Those are miles apart. They're different religions, in fact. One of them is called a false Christianity, and one of them is true Christianity, which brings us back to our first question. Is your goal not obey the commandments so that you can maintain your salvation, or is your obeying of the commandments because of your salvation? Do you all see the difference? I hope you do. It's massive. It might actually make you a more loving person if this penny isn't stuck, but it drops down to the heart. And you start loving the way God intended you to love in the first place. So, so far, we've tried to answer, based on this passage and our exposition of it, that Christianity is, in the simplest of terms, a relationship with the creator of the universe that happens through his son, through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing the one triune God. If we know God, then we will be people of love, which our goal is to love like he loved. So therefore, do you want that to be your goal, Embassy Church? Individual member, visitor that's just coming by for a particular Sunday? I would, I would commend this goal to you. I cannot think in all of my life of a better presentation of what a good life would look like. So I want to urge you, all of you, adopt this as your way of life, your end goal destination for life. Align everything on the basis of God's grace and the gospel, of his desire to want to be in a relationship with you, and allow that to bear good fruit. Third and final question, the one that I think should end the sermon because it's central to the whole book of 1 John. It's probably, if you were to put the big idea, it would come right here. How can you be sure that you are a Christian? Can you be sure? Answer, yes. If you would, turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5 and just notice right at the very end of this whole book, you have a purpose statement. 
where in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we've asked of him. Do you see the language right here at the end that matches what we've just read here at the beginning? I'm writing this letter, little children, so, so they won't sin, so that you'll keep his commandments, so that you'll know, so you'll have confidence. This is the right path. This is the true Jesus. This is the embodiment of what Israel was supposed to be in the Old Testament, but they never quite arrived. Jesus did, though. The light is truly shining. Israel was supposed to be that light, and they often just perpetuated the darkness with their own sin and disobedience. So you can be confident, unlike those who have already left the faith, those who have already given up on Jesus, those who've decided to move past Jesus in some form or fashion. It's leaving this community of Christians to ask, wait, what if they're right? What if this pre-Gnostic heresy, whatever it is, what if this docetic getting rid of Jesus's flesh on the cross, like, oh, we can't have that kind of Messiah. What if they're right and we're wrong? Is this truly the path? How can we be so sure that it's Jesus? And the answer John's going to give is to say, look at you. You love each other. The confidence that you should have is not, hey, let's look and see how well I'm keeping the commandments. Rather, it's that you should know. You should know from experience. You should know from the community of people around you that this love is testifying to the, the truthfulness that Jesus is the definition of love. Jesus is the goal of Christian faith. And therefore, we should realign ourselves to Jesus week after week. So yes, the answer is you can know that you're a Christian and you should. But not necessarily in the way that it seems on the surface of just, well, let me look. How am I doing at obeying the commands? I think that's missing the point of this text. One commentator puts it this way. Knowing that we know, it comes by keeping the commandments. So, many of us will think we should see how well we're keeping the commandments or think about our obedience to those commandments. However, this might take us off the track that John is pointing us to. If you're struggling with assurance and you don't experience the joy, the delight, the energy, the life, the power that comes from a relationship with God, from fellowship with his son, or the assurance that you know him, the answer is to repent. Confess your sins. Look to the advocate and stop doing what you're doing. If that's a difficult thing, which it often is for most of us, then ask for help from other believers and pray for a fuller measure of the Spirit, and then try your best to walk as Jesus walked. Start keeping the commandments of God. That is the pathway to assurance. That's the way to know that you know him. End quote. What is he trying to say? If you sit here and try and measure your obedience by yourself, without other help, Depending on whether you're pessimistic or optimistic, you're going to probably get different results in the room. If you're not seeing that what John is doing is telling you, 
we know, like assurance know, that we know him because look, we're obeying his commandments. That's the logic of verse 3 and following. We know that we're in a relationship with God because we're obeying his commands. Well, who are the liars in verse 4? The people that have said, I'm done with Jesus. I don't want to obey his commands. He's not my Lord, and I'm going a different path. They're the people that say, you guys want to go south, somewhere warm? We want to go north. It's pretty simple in terms of on the surface. Are you right now the kind of person that's headed south toward warm weather? Or are you the kind of person that's headed north toward cold weather? The answer will be your obedience to Jesus on the basis of who he is because of his great love for you, his advocacy in heaven right now should provide for you the compelling reason to stay on the path. And as long as you don't say, I'm done with Jesus, I am off the path, I'm going a different way, then you'll know. Meaning, some of you, if you go back to our tree illustration, you're thinking, man, it's taken a long time to grow. I'm not really pleased with my progress. Am I really a Christian? John would say, are you making progress? Are you still growing? Are you still being nurtured in Jesus? Then you're a Christian. But too many of us, we like to become the judge and jury of whether or not we're making enough progress fast enough. That's not his point. It's not about progress. It's are you on the track? Is Jesus your Lord? Is he your Savior? Yes or no? He's in a community of people that have just witnessed a whole bunch of people leave Jesus. Like, reject the basic claim that he's the Messiah and reject the basic command to love one another. Is that you? And if you're sitting here saying, no, that's not me. I think Jesus is the Messiah. I think he's the Lord and Savior. And I like his commandments. I think love God and love your neighbor sounds good. And is that what you want to do with your life? And that's what you're trying to do. And that's why you're here today. Then Christian, have assurance. You can know that you know him because you're here. Because you love the Bible. You love Jesus. Amen. That's what John's trying to say. But too many of us want to navel gaze and, and, and look like microscopically at all of your different desires and your heart motives. Step back, big, big picture, and just ask yourself, are you a Christian? Do you love Christ? Have you received the message that he came from heaven to the earth, died on the cross for your sins, rose again, poured out the Holy Spirit, and gave you the ability to love so you can abide in him. And as long as all of these things that I'm saying are true, then the answer to your sin or your struggles or your slow growth is as the author said, repent, turn to Jesus. First John 1 John 1.9, confess your sins. He's faithful and he's just. He will forgive us of our sins and he'll cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So repent, confess, turn your gaze upward at the ascended Lord who is our sacrifice. That's, that's the solution. Not think, I must not be a Christian. This is what I was trying to say two weeks ago when I was saying many people will read this book and they will quickly look at their struggles with sin and think, 
must not be a Christian. I can't really have assurance. I don't know. Last week was a good week. This week was a bad week. This last year was not a great year. Maybe next year will be a better year. That's not the way to think about it. Look to Christ. Set your gaze on Jesus. In case you think I'm cherry-picking or thinking I'm reading into the text, just turn your eyes to what we will get to eventually. 1 John chapter 3. Notice the relationship between John's confidence and on the process of finally reaching the goal. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that they did not know him. Beloved, we We're God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now we'll spend our time unpacking that passage in its context in the weeks to come. But I hope you want to just, as a little sneak peek ahead, this is what John is saying in the first half of the letter. By beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ, we are convicted of our sin. We then confess that sin. We repent and turn from it. And then we become more like him. And that puts us on the path of obeying the commands. That's just what happens. So either you don't think Jesus is that great. Like, nah. Different goal. Different way of making sense of life. Different gospel. Or, Lord, Savior, Master, Ruler of the universe, Ascended King of Kings, that's my King. And I love what He loves. I love the vision. I love that He has given me the power and the path, and He's already blazed the trail for me. I'm just going to follow in His footsteps. That's a Christian. Do you fall down? Yep. Do you sometimes go really slow? Of course. Are you there yet? Nope. But the way that you will eventually arrive is the same way that you make progress in the journey. See him. Because it will be when you see him in the fullness of him upon his return that you'll be glorified. That you'll be fully consummated and united. You'll cross the finish line. Brothers and sisters, I hope that if you're here today and you've been doubting with struggles of assurance, doubts about, I don't know, Should I choose to continue to maintain my Christian faith? The answer should hopefully be, yeah, what's the alternative? Where else are we going to go, the disciples said to Jesus. Or, if you're just struggling with assurance because of your struggle with sin, I hope that this is a just game-changing perspective for you. And then, parents and young children that have yet to be baptized, elders of the church, as we assess, can we know that someone's a Christian? Let's use these texts of Scripture And these basic principles to help assess those questions. Can you know? You can. You can know. You can know Jesus. And you can know that if you are changed and transformed by that message, repenting of sin, confessing your sin, and then pursuing obedience in a life of love, that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what the whole goal of the Christian faith is. It's why you should do it. 
and it's how you can have assurance. Hope and pray that each one of us, wherever we find ourselves in this church, in our individual stages of Christian life, and in our broader understanding of the Christian faith, that today's message will serve you well toward those ends. Let's close in prayer now for these things. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for sending your Son. We do want to just praise you for revealing how kind and compassionate and humble you have revealed yourself to be in the person of Jesus Christ. We want to express our faith in him. He, he's worthy of our praise. He's, he's true. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the definition of life now and in the age to come for eternity. Lord, we want to pray that we will all confess rightly the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, the true gospel, the real hope, the real message of the Christian faith, that we won't be confused. Even if we leave here today and we're not convinced fully, I hope it would be a rejection of the actual message. So God, clarify for each one of us here where we stand, where our faith's at, or our lack thereof. Lord, I pray for anybody that is still struggling with assurance because of a struggle with sin, that 1 John will be an incredible balm. It will be something that bolsters their faith, helps them see that they need to get their eyes on Jesus and not on their sin. Just confess it. Get help. And then trust in the power of the cross to forgive and cleanse. I pray, Lord, that that will be the kind of fruit that comes from this teaching of your word. Do it now, in Jesus' name. Amen.